Throughout the 1960s, the late Bruce Geller worked as a screenwriter, producer, and director in L.A. In 1966, he wrote and produced the crown jewel of his career, a Cloak and Dagger series that ran from 1966 to 1973, then kicked off again from 1988 to 1990, and eventually it would inspire six movies by the year 2020, which, by the way, have totaled more than $3.5 billion at the box office. And I believe <clears throat> there's two more in the works. One was scheduled for 21 and another for 22. I have no idea if this chaos of 2020 backed that up or not. But anyways, the title of this Cloak & Dagger themed success, I'm going to give you a second to think about it. It was, and or is rather, Mission Impossible, the movies of which star longtime actor with the best slash worst teeth in the game, Senor Tom Cruise. Now, unlike Tom, I'm not worth $500 million. I've never been a fan of Scientology. I've never used Oprah Winfrey's talk show couch as a trampoline, and I've never had a crush on Cher. Oh, yeah. They had a thing, believe it or not. However, much like Ethan Hunt, I am on a mission, a seemingly impossible one. In fact, I think that's what this entire podcast is based on, right? This seemingly impossible mission. It is a quest that might be impractical or even ridiculous. But if Ethan can do the impossible time and time again, maybe there's hope. Hello, friends, and welcome to How to Be 40, my podcast that attempts to delineate what it means to transition from juvenile thinking and behavior to genuine maturity. We're kicking off, what is this? Season two, episode one. Uh, yeah, so we're going to see if we can't knock out 12 podcasts this year, once a month. I try to release them on the first of each month for you three people who listen. Thanks, Mom. Anyways, so the more I study and dig, the more elusive and confusing and complex this idea of genuine maturity becomes. I will keep trying and I have tried. And that effort brings me to the day of my high school graduation. So when I graduated high school, oh, I don't know, when was that? It was May-ish of 1998, a small little town called Rankin, south of town, south of Midland, Odessa. That's in Texas, by the way. But anyways, my mom gave me a ring. And it was a little, little silver sterling silver ring i think probably from james avery and it had that little fish you know that little fish i'm talking about like it's a little line and it it uh it's in the shape of a fish it's supposed to represent i think um christianity and the christian faith you know and you wear it and it's like hey look at me i've got this little christian ring on but anyways here's the problem i wore that ring for several many many years and i, I tell you what i will try to find that ring and post a picture of it on Instagram when I post this podcast. I wore that for many years, and over the years, I have no doubt that several people noticed what I'm going to call a paradox in behavior and that ring, in the sense that they would see me behave in ways that were inconsistent with the message that the ring is theoretically supposed to convey, if that makes any sense. So, you know, I, I undoubtedly, during those years, it was a college, by the way, I'm no doubtedly gossiped. I know it, no doubt slandered. I, I spoke ill of people. I mistreated people. I was mean, blah, blah, blah. And the people saw me with that ring on. So 
Long story short, I recognized that inconsistency. And in fact, that's the sole reason I stopped wearing it. I, I couldn't live up to that high standard. And I, that was maybe after six years of wearing it, I think, nonstop. But I bring that up because a couple of weeks ago, I was reminded about that pinky ring when a friend of mine was stolen from. And let me elaborate. So social media is just ridiculous in so many ways. But a friend of mine was stolen from, which on the surface doesn't seem all that big of a deal. It may not, it's certainly not uncommon. There are thieves everywhere. But this was a very public theft in the sense that it was on social media. And it was very, very evident if you knew what you were looking at and what you were looking for, if that makes any sense. And even then, that wasn't altogether that surprising. People are, people are just that way. People are people, right? What was frustrating is that the thief had the words, and still does, servant of Christ as the first thing you'd see in that person's bio or biography on their Instagram page. And again, I'm not, I'm not throwing stones, but it reminded me when I saw this very public theft by this person who is, in essence, wearing this giant pinky ring, it brought me back to my experience. And the fact is, this conversation could go a thousand different directions, right? But we're going to try to stay in our lane with, with what's on, on topic here. And I want you to keep that incident in the back of your mind and try not to veer off too much because I want to bring in another aspect. So my best friend of about 20 years now is agnostic. And he is actually just really borderline atheist. I think he's pretty much on the atheistic side, but there's just a slight bit of doubt. So he's kind of hanging on to that agnostic fence, if you will. And I, I admit it, admit it, after 20 years, if I am, quote, a Christian and my friend is an atheist slash agnostic, that probably represents a failure on my, my end to some degree. But let me point something out. His defense against the Christian doctrine is always the same. And what he does is... He discredits Christianity by pointing out the failures of people who call themselves Christians. Does that make sense? And I have another friend who's very similar, a friend for about the same amount of time, about 20 years. And he said that he turned away from the church because of the Sunday lunch crowd. And let me dig into that and explain that. He and I waited tables together at a restaurant called Logan's. And we waited tables together for about five years. And he came up to me and he said, yeah, we were, we were having this theological conversation, if you will. And we were speaking about it. And he said, yeah, one thing, one of the things that made me kind of doubt this idea of church and faith and God and Jesus was the way that the waiters and waitresses were treated by the Sunday lunch crowd. He said that the rudest, most pompous, disrespectful group that would come into that restaurant in general, not every person, but in general, were the people who would come in to eat lunch after church on Sundays. And here's the deal. He was right. And I know he was right because I waited tables with him for five years. And it was very frustrating to me when he said that. One, because he's speaking the idea of the truth in the sense that that really did happen. Now, here's a hard truth. In religion, that excuse works. In Christianity, sincere Christianity, it doesn't work. Because Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And one's relationship with Christ has nothing to do zero to do with the actions, behaviors, or relayed beliefs of others. However, caveat to that, their doubts, their judgments, and I'm going to dare say their finger pointing is understandable. It's unjustified, but I understand their point of view. The argument they're making is understandable because they're calling it for what it is, hypocrisy. So I'm going to try to loop this back around. Those of us who claim Christianity must be mature and intelligent enough to know this. 
this concept that our behaviors are very, very impactful. It's not because of the behaviors themselves per se, but it's combined with what our said beliefs are. And that caution is paramount. The suffix ian, like I-A-N, like Christian, it means from or like or belonging to. So a Christian is supposed to be from, like, or belonging to Jesus in the sense that they are following the teachings of Jesus. They are trying to live the way that he did. And I didn't appreciate that fully when wearing that ring. One of my roommates named Melissa Shackelford, she got married. Her name is Melissa. Oh man, is that, can I, can I drop that bomb? It doesn't matter. Wonderful person. She's married to a great guy. Just super cool, all-American family. But one time she told me, looking back at our, we, she's my college roommate. One time she told me, she said, there were times where you were the only Bible that I read. And I distinctly remember her telling me that because it was profound. And I thought to myself, well, crap. I wasn't a very good Bible to read back then. I'm actually still not a very good Bible to read. So don't do that to me. But the point had been made. And that's true for a lot of people who claim to be Christians. You're the only Bible some people are going to read, especially in the beginning of their relationship with Christ, if you will. And they may not even pursue it if the Bible they are reading, hashtag you and me, don't send a very positive message. And social media makes this quicksand much easier to get into. I wish this thief that I mentioned earlier really understood that. Now, yes, I think that putting any support for God and Jesus online anywhere is a great idea, but only as long as the person putting it out there is aware of the extremely deadly consequences of consistently acting outside of that doctrine. This negative message resonates. Okay, I'm going to bring these pieces together. In these talks, I've had to say a good deal about prayer. And before going on to my main subject tonight, I'd like to deal with a difficulty some people find about the whole idea of prayer. That was the voice of Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, as you may recognize. Now, he passed away November 22nd, 1963, which, if you know your trivia, was the exact same day that our 35th president, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. Mr. Lewis was a British writer, theologian, and professor at Oxford University in England. You may remember the book, The Chronicles of Narnia. That was actually a movie as well. Anyways, that was him. The voice you heard, he's speaking about a topic that isn't necessarily important for this here, but I did want you to hear his voice just so you can kind of hopefully get an idea of, of who he was to some degree as I read this. I wish I had a recording of this article that I'm about to throw at you, but in 1944... C.S. Lewis, he gave a memorial lecture at King's College at the University of London. He called it the Inner Ring, and I want to elaborate on that. And the Inner Ring, is it addresses our desire to be accepted, adored, appreciated, and wanted. He calls what we might refer to as cliques, rings. And specifically, he refers to something as the Inner Ring being our key objective. Now, these are not formal rings or levels. This is not some sort of explicit hierarchy like you'd find in the military or a large company. No, he's talking about the unwritten rings or cliques. And I want to read a few lines from his article. And please stay with me here because this is very, very important. I was really 
impressed with what I read here. He says, quote, I can assure you that in whatever hospital, in of court, diocese, school, business, or college you arrive after going down, you will find the rings, end quote. He says the rings are everywhere, and he makes that very, very clear in his article. By the way, this article is just, you could probably read it in 20 minutes, but it's certainly worth the read. I encourage you to look into it. He says also, quote, I believe that in all men's lives at, at certain periods, and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside, end quote. He's just talking about how we prioritize these rings, the desire to be in them and, and how it can be lifelong how that fear, and I emphasize that word fear, at terror, as he put it, the terror of being left outside the rings. And it's very, very real if we think about it. Now he goes, he digs very deep into this, and he talks about how some people deliberately stick their nose up at certain groups in the fact that they recognize certain rings, they try to dodge them. He calls, he calls these people recognizing the snobbery. But then he also illuminates the fact that these people who avoid this, quote, snobbery, even in their wanting to avoid these popular cliques, guess what they're doing? They're just creating another ring. And it's, it's just, it might be a smaller ring, but it's another ring nonetheless. And it's a ring that they want to be a part of. C.S. Lewis goes on. He, he reveals how it's our desire to be in these rings that lead people to do things they wouldn't have done otherwise. Like, for example, the desire to be in these rings leads people to drink alcohol for the first time and get drunk or have sex or smoke a cigarette or look at porn or whatever. He also talks about, or actually, I want to talk about how these rings will even keep us from doing certain things. How many actions do we not take? How many behaviors do we not follow through with that we think or know we should that we don't in this, in because we want to be a part of a ring or we're afraid we're getting kicked out of one? Does that make sense? C.S. Lewis further writes, quote, I must now make a distinction. I am not going to say that the existence of inner rings is an evil. It is certainly unavoidable, end quote. So they're not inherently bad, these rings. In fact, uh, an example was, let's say somebody wants to, uh, they have a passion for playing the French horn, right? They want to get better. So what are they going to do? Well, they want to find a group of guys, gals, guys and gals, who play French horn, who have a passion for playing the French horn. And he's going to join that ring and he's going to get better at playing the French horn. That's fine. But this isn't the best example because remember, it's not the formal labels that he's referring to when he's talking about these rings. It's the informal rings that exist. The very invisible but yet very real rings. The cliques within the French horn group. Does that make sense? So the rings, their, their existence is not necessarily bad. In fact, as he puts, it's unavoidable. But he goes on to point out that we should be very, very careful. Check this out. He talks about the hierarchy. Now, again, it's the implicit or unspecific or undefined hierarchy of concentric rings. He says, it's why we've, quote, first neglected and finally shaken off friends whom you really loved and who might have lasted you a lifetime in order to court the friendship of those who appeared to you more important, end quote. How many times, and I think this was more resounding in our childhood, did we try to upgrade friends? So our friends with someone... And we think they're cool, but then we realize there's popular kids right over there. And the kid that we're friends with is not part of the popular group. So we're going to rid ourselves or distance ourselves from this quote-unquote unpopular ring or outside ring to become part of that perceived inner ring over there. It's pretty shady, man. Humans are crappy, but this is what we do. It's exactly what we do. 
That happens in adulthood as well, right? Well, if I turn my back on this person, it may give me a better chance to become a part of that ring over there where they're perhaps wealthier, more sophisticated, drive nicer vehicles, whatever the crap you want to put. doesn't matter. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox before I get started. He says, quote, my main purpose in this address is simply to convince you that this desire is one of the great permanent mainsprings of human action, end quote. He goes on to say, quote, unless you take measures to prevent it, this desire is going to be one of the chief motives of your life from the day on which you enter your profession until the day when you are too old to care. Any other kind of life, if you lead it, will be the result of conscious and continuous effort. If you do nothing about it, you will drift with the stream. You will, in fact, be an inner ringer, end quote. That is the crux. Let me extract that again. This desire is going to be one of the chief motives of your life. Dude, that is right. Holy crap. How many times do we stress about not having this or not having that or not being a part of this or being a part of that or blah, 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 blah. How many times do we discontent? Correlate that with how many times or to what extent you feel like you are not in a ring you want to be a part of. And I guarantee you they will align perfectly. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. My mind's blown just talking about it. How much time have we wasted trying to be an inner ringer? No. How much joy have we missed out on trying to find and keep our place in an inner ring? Holy crap, man. Seriously. So the other day, I was thinking about this. And I started to do a self-assessment. And I only did it for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I want you to do the same thing. Anytime you're out in public, I want you to do this. You know what? Even at home, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just every move you make, every thought you have, think to yourself, why am I doing this? Is it because I sincerely need to do it? Or is it because I want to stay inside of a certain ring or be accepted in another ring? And if you're like me, you will be astounded how often it is the latter. Let me give an example. So I'm in the gym. I go to CrossFit. I'm in the CrossFit gym. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, let's do some self-assessment here. Blah, 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 blah. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I put my knee sleeves on. Okay, I need the knee sleeves because my knee protects my knees or so I think it does. I need the lifters because it puts me in a better position. Okay, so I feel like I can do that. Okay, good. Well, why do you want to do better in the workout? Oh, don't ask that question. That's a deep question. Okay, go on. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, I, wanna, I feel better with my shirt off. I'm going to take my shirt off. Why do, you, why do you have the habit of taking your shirt off? That's interesting. But in this particular moment, I wanted to take my hat off so I could take my shirt off. And there's a bunch of gray area and all of that. I, I realized that. But anyways, I didn't want to take my hat off because my hair was messy underneath in a CrossFit gym. And I thought to myself, how stupid is that? I don't want to take my hat off because I don't want to be outside of the ring of people who respect people with not messy hair, if that makes any sense. Oh my gosh, this is so ridiculous. Anyways, C.S. Lewis, quote, of all the passions... The passion for the inner ring is most skillful in making a man who is not yet a very bad man do very bad things, end quote. April 1999, Columbine High School. You remember that? Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold killed 13 people. I think it was a teacher and 12 students. They had been bullied. They were, had what I would call severe psychological problems. They were guys 
who kept getting pushed out or unwelcomed in various rings, the athletic ring, the intelligent ring, the preppy school, rich kids, whatever rings. And so they made one of their own, a very, very small one. And they did very evil things. That's an extreme example, but it's an accurate example nonetheless. Now, all this put together, to me, is huge. It's an eye-opener. Listen, why did you first start using vulgar language to be one of the cool kids, right? Right? I mean, or, or one of the cool family members, right? I want to copy dad. I want to be like, dad, dad's cool, or my uncle's cool, or these kids are cool. Yeah, so you start throwing some F-bombs or whatever. Why do we want a nice, shiny car? It's because we want to be accepted into the ring of people who show appreciation for people with nice, shiny cars. It's why we tag people on social media. It's why we put hashtags. We want more people to look at us. Look at me. I want to be part of the popular ring. It's why we post anything at all. It's why social media even exists, brah. Why do we want more money? And don't say it's because you want more toilet paper and hand sanitizer. It's the ring. Why do we want abs, beautiful hair, big titties, colorful socks? It's why I've used Botox. Why do we want titles like entrepreneur, CEO, executive, business owner? C.S. Lewis, quote, the quest for the inner ring will break your hearts unless you break it, end quote. We've got to break our quest for the inner ring. That doesn't mean you can't have friends. That doesn't mean you can't be part of groups. That doesn't mean you can't be quote unquote popular. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy life in a social atmosphere. But it does mean if you use that as your motivation, we are going to end up with broken hearts. And in 41 years, I have been absolutely steamrolled with discontent because I felt like I hadn't accomplished more or made enough or done enough because I thought I needed to be in certain rings. And so the truth comes full circle, just like the rings that we fight so hard to be a part of. I told myself that I wanted to start this podcast so that my children would be able to hear my voice and perhaps get, perhaps get good information long after I was gone. But this podcast also exists because I have a desire to be in certain rings admittedly. The pinky ring I wore around my finger was designed to remind me that I believe that Jesus was indeed the Christ and that I should make an effort to live in accordance with that belief. I chose at times to gossip, be malicious and mean, blah, 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 blah. No doubt because I was working to join another clique or justify my place in the one I was in. Then I chose to stop wearing that pinky decoration to be accepted in the ring of those who opposed blatant displays of hypocrisy. Either way, it's pathetic. My friend was stolen from by a man who wanted to be inside a ring of creative and accomplished videographers. I have other dear friends who refuse to leave their entrenched status in the ring of agnostics and further fear that researching the Christian faith will leave them outside the ring they are comfortably living in. It's their desire to be accepted and loved, at least in part, that prevents them from seeking truth. Friends, Listen, please. Our desire to be appreciated, wanted, and loved is not evil. However, the inevitable and painful search for purpose and acceptance will absolutely drown us if we can't learn to break our dependence and trust on social rings. We must loosen our grasp on this desire if we want to understand sincere freedom. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be a part of rings, and it certainly doesn't mean we should not have friends we hold dear and loved ones we want to respect and please. However, we were not made to be slaves to anything, even slaves 
to a yearning for acceptance. So I have a challenge for you this month. This is new, this challenge idea. And my challenge for you is simple. As often as you can, make a conscious effort to think as you go about your day, what behaviors are you making or not making to simply move closer toward or more inside of a ring? You may find, as I did, that far too much of everyday life is concentrated on such. Once you recognize this, the dependence becomes much easier to break. And my final word is to you, McKinley and Lachlan. And if others are listening, thanks, Mom. You can take this with you, too. C.S. Lewis writes words I want you to firmly hold on to your entire life and pass them on to your children. Quote, To a young person just entering adult life, the world seems full of insides, full of delightful intimacies and confidentialities, and he desires to enter them. But if he follows that desire, he will reach no inside that is worth reaching. The true road lies in quite another direction. End quote. I'm Noah Dean. Thanks for listening.